Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. The first one to believe in the project is you. No one will believe in it if not you. So even if you don't believe in it, you have to pretend you believe in it at first. And then things happen when they are meant to. But action, action brings action. And it's even more true for a movie. So, so at some point you need to, to push yourself the, the button action. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 116, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. In our last episode, I promised that I'd give a fuller update on how things have been going here in Cambodia, obviously specifically with our, our doc film Elvis of Cambodia. And that is exactly what I'm going to do here in today's opening segment. You may remember from a few episodes ago that I started going down to Phnom Penh and knocking on doors. I was essentially cold calling, making sales calls, and in a way that I've never done before, not to mention have ever been comfortable doing. But things work differently here in a place like Cambodia. I can play the dumb foreigner card, and I can simply walk into major companies and ask to see directors of marketing or directors of promotions. And I did a number of times. And I was actually met with some success. I was able to introduce the film and talk briefly about corporate sponsorship possibilities. I often left with business cards and the understanding that I would be emailing more details afterwards. Now, yes, for sure a number of times, they were probably just politely trying to get me out the door, right? But on a handful of occasions, after I emailed the follow-ups, someone from the company would email me back and request to have a meeting, which is exactly what I was intending and, and hoping for. So I had some face-to-faces where I showed a clip or two from the film. I talked about my connection to Cambodia, and I discussed at length about how filming was going on Elvis of Cambodia, and then how and why I thought that their company would be interested in sponsoring the finishing of our film and then screening tour in Cambodia. It was an enlightening experience for me. Most of the time, I had the full attention of the company reps. They wanted to know who this foreigner was who seemed to care so much about their country and one of its cultural icons. Other times, I could pretty quickly tell I'd been asked in to simply hear me out and then politely they would tell me no or in some cases just ignore my calls or email follow-ups. There was a lot of back and forth after I would meet with a company. But it was quickly pretty obvious who was serious about their interest in corporate sponsorship and who wasn't. And I'm happy to say that one particular company, a high-profile telecom company here in Cambodia, just this past week finalized a sponsorship deal with us. Getting the first one feels really, really good. 
It's been a process, to say the least. From the first time I walked into their office, again, by the way, completely unannounced, to meeting with them, to the countless emails back and forth, going over contractual amendments, to finally just this past week getting signatures from both parties. Well, it's been a little exhausting, but like I said, it's also been rewarding, satisfying. It feels good to know that someone else out there believes in what you're doing, that they too want to see your film get finished and shown around the world. And while like any of sponsorship deal like this works, there is an exchange of services certainly. You don't have to sell your soul and make a less than ideal deal or, or form a sponsorship with a company that maybe doesn't align with your own core values or the message of your film. Every little bit helps, Doc Lifer. So I am here to say that making that first deal, it's the hardest one, but it is the most important one. Just as is the case with grants and film festivals, it's that first one that's the hardest to obtain. But once you do, amazingly, others start to want to be attached to your success. And in our case, getting our first corporate sponsorship for Elvis of Cambodia is already resulting in more interest from other companies. Remember that, because it's important when you're deep in the trenches and it's feeling like no one wants to sponsor your film, no one gives a damn about your film. Remember, just get that first one. Get that first one. In other news, we were set to announce that we'd made a deal with a pretty known international band who had agreed in principle to do score on our film. This was huge for us. Or it, it was huge for us. Or... It still could be huge for us. Kind of remains to be seen. Thankfully, we decided against announcing our excitement to the world until we had a contract in place. Because this was three weeks ago when we made a verbal agreement with the artist. And things are still definitely not solidified. In fact, they may even be murkier now, more up in the air. Surprise, surprise, the band's manager and now the publishing company, they decided to get fully involved and started pumping the brakes. Um, it seems they were unhappy with the verbal agreement that their artist had made with us. Yeah. So we're ironing out those details. Hopefully it'll work out. It would be great for the project, but we'll have to see. Word of the wise here, Doc Lifer, just because an artist gets really excited about your project and is all in on helping you out and they make a pretty good verbal agreement, well, that doesn't mean jack until something has been put into place on paper and signed. I know that you already know that. This week, in an effort to keep raising the budget that will be required for us to finish our film, we decided to adjust our tactics a little bit. While we're still committed to the corporate sponsorship thing, we're also embracing a short-term crowdfund, which began two weeks ago and actually ends this weekend. We have been specifically raising funds for animation on our film. In essence, Instead of approaching people and, and asking for the full budget for completion costs, we are being very specific about one of the areas which urgently needs financing. In our case, animation. We had been talking with an amazing animation company down on the Capitol, going back and forth with ideas and, and different potential budgets for these ideas. And so we are telling people the amount that we need to raise to be able to get the animation underway. And there's urgency for all of this, right? And I don't mean just a general, we need money to get the film finished kind of urgency. More like, look, it's going to take the animators three months to be able to complete this task. And oh, by the way, in order to make our goal of having the film finished in four months, we really need to get these animators going as quickly as possible. I will most definitely let you know how this goes. Okay, so there's 
kind of the state of things here in Cambodia for us. There are a few more potentially bigger things happening as we speak, but I do need to keep quiet on those fronts for now. But I certainly look forward to sharing with you um, more of this once things really do start to materialize. All right, next up, we'll be having a conversation with Prun Nore, a Brooklyn-based artist from France who has recently combined her installation work and her journey with breast cancer to make her first documentary film, Serendipity. As always, thanks for joining me today here on The Documentary Life. Over the last few years, as we've met and connected with more and more doc lifers, we've been asked what the most comprehensive doc filmmaking course out there is. The truth is, we didn't believe there was one. There are plenty of videos and some courses that walk you through some technical aspects of filmmaking and workshops that cover some of the business aspects, but there was nothing that specifically took the doc filmmaker through the whole actual doc filmmaking journey, both creative and business, from A to Z. That is, until we created one. The Documentary Academy is the only all-in-one online documentary film production course that actually starts from the beginning of your film's journey, from story conception, through pre-production and actual production, to post-production, and through to the promotions, marketing, and distribution of your film. The Academy will help you make your most successful documentary film by guiding you on the journey from conception to launch. But don't just take our word for it. Have a look for yourself by going to thedocumentarylife.com slash academy and discover everything that the Academy has to offer, including a video that takes you inside the Academy for a look around. The Documentary Academy has already greatly helped others realize their power and potential as doc filmmakers. Why not be the next person who brings an awesome documentary film to life? Head on over to thedocumentarylife.com slash academy today, and we'll see you there. is a multidisciplinarian artist based at the Invisible Dog Art Center in Brooklyn, New York. She draws her inspiration from the issues of human definition and human selection. With a degree in wood sculpture from Ecole Boulet in Paris, Nuri explores bioethics through sculpture as well as video, photography, and performance. Her work focuses on how artificial procreation leads us towards an artificial evolution of mankind and its consequences. Nourished by in-depth research and largely influenced by anthropology, she has created a triptych focusing on gender preference. This triptych started in India with the projects Holy Daughters and Holy River. The third part, Terracotta Daughters, a life-size army prune made in Qian, China, traveled the world in 2014 before being buried this year as a contemporary archaeological site. Prune Nore, welcome to the Documentary Life podcast. Glad to have you here. Thank you. So happy to be with you in Cambodia from New York. <laughs> That's absolutely true. It's This is actually a, a first of sorts. We've never had someone, an artist such as yourself, like this on our show. Um, and it's wonderful because we're talking to you uh, at, just as the, re- the release of your first documentary is happening. So very excited to talk about this. And of course, I'm referring to the documentary Serendipity. So, so Prune, help us out here a little bit and talk a little bit about your art background 
background and how this led to making your first documentary film. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm mostly um, a visual artist, let's say, uh, even if, you know, art doesn't like labels. So yeah. I truly believe the fact that you can pass from one to another. Um, it's just image, photography, video has always been uh, part of it, like, not only part of it, but like a pillar of it. Mm. Why? Because I, I've worked a lot on ephemeral projects, mm. projects where my sculptures would be um, destroyed back into the Genji River, for example, yeah. or, or buried under the ground until 2030 for the army. Yeah. So the video, uh, the documentation of it, the archives uh, is finally the only thing I have left. So it's so precious to me. And what experience did you have with film or video prior to actually making the documentary Serendipity? So I was using all these archives each time for each project to make short movies, mm. um, kind of artist movies uh, of a length uh, between five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah. And I also, you know, because my background is sculpture and it's a bit, what what I would call my spine. Yeah. Um, I was trained, in fact, to to transform these uh, these images into three D, and into material. Mm. So I I was making the editing myself. Uh, I learned I had to use Final Cut by myself, and <laughs> I, I I did my my own editing, you know, on my computer, and and then I was reprojecting uh, those shots I had edited yeah. into uh, on the floor of my studio. And playing with it, like I was reprojecting it yeah. um, from the ceiling, yeah. but on uh, some kind of, of milk powder or, or milk liquid yeah. or water or paper that I would burn. And I would create a kind of, um, of screen, but very material screen. Ah. And you had the impression that the image was in 3D. So you could see my, my hands coming inside the screens. Um, suddenly I would, I would flip over uh, a kind of basin filled with milk. So you, you could just see the, that suddenly the, the, the material of the screen was changing. But, you know, filming that from the ceiling um, and, and then reprojecting it after that on, on a wall, mm. really you were totally lost. You were wondering what was going on. And you can see the hands, you know, like like the make. It's like making a movie, like you would do a sculpture. Correct. So I call yeah. that the the sculpted images. Wow, incredible! <laughs> I love <laughs> this. Why was film the art form that was right for this type of project that you wanted to do? So serendipity. In fact, um, I didn't plan to make a long feature uh, about that at first. Mm. I was working on a, a long feature about uh, my Terracotta Daughters project, my project in China, mm. that I had been working on since 2011, and I buried the army in 2015. I had a, a lot of of, of crazy sh uh, rushes, and I really wanted to, you know, I, I thought it was the time to make the documentary. Yeah. And I was working on it with. Um, my writer and dear friend, Alistair Sidans, who is also um, not only a writer for, for Steve McQueen and, and amazing uh, directors, but mm. also a fantastic director himself. Mm. And so we were working on, uh, on Terracotta Daughters together when I learned uh, I was ill. And as a friend, uh. Alistair told me, uh, Prune, uh, stop 
being obsessed with Terracotta Daughters right now because I was so stressed to finish the movie. Wow, of course. He told me, no, 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 you have, to, you have to focus on your health right now. Yeah. And Terracotta Daughters can wait until 2030 when you will dig up the army, which is the plan, uh, with archaeologists. And he was so right. Like the, the movie Terracotta Daughters has to happen in 2030. Ah. So that was the first advice I, I got. Still, I didn't know I would do, a, you know, a long feature. Yeah. I didn't know I would, I would create serendipity. Yeah. But uh, I was, I live in New York since uh, nine years now, yeah. and and here my friend Darren Aronofsky, uh, one of my favorite director, um, same thing, was helping me to to think the Terracotta Daughters um, uh, film, and he said, you know, like as an artist, you have that that power, that 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 luck to be able to transform anything that happens to you into material, into art. And, and that was such a good advice, you know. Ah, wow. Finally, it, I, I decided to take the camera and film. And, and I, I didn't know what would happen. But I was going through the treatments starting, you know, here and there by, by learning on the spot what I, I would need to go through, yeah. including the chemo, including uh, freezing my eggs, all these different steps that really I was discovering along the way. But having that camera in hand, I discovered along the way that, in fact, there were so many strange relationships between and links between my past projects that I had done as a visual artist and what I was going through at the moment. That's for sure. That <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this became the movie. In fact, so it, it was pure serendipity. That movie has been done with serendipity organically. Uh, with the help of friends, it's a real teamwork, and uh, along the way. If you had a secret power, what would it be? Healing with my hands. I love anatomy. My way of expression and sculpture, focusing on fertility, that's part of me. I was working a lot about the body, but I think I lost my body on the way. I got a call. It was my doctor. She told me that I had breast cancer. You have to freeze your eggs. It has so many links to past projects. When you're ill, you realize that health is everything. If you're in good health, there is no limit. I learned how to work in a different way. Once you accept, it makes things easier. It brings you to the essential. Health and love and art. It's a movie where it's between my, my art and my private life, uh, which was quite difficult for me as a private person to, to do that. But I felt along the way, uh, seeing all these strange links uh, between my past artworks from 10 years and all the treatments and the different steps I had to go through as, a, as the breast cancer patient, mm. that I decided to turn that into a movie. And that is the movie Serendipity. Indeed it is. 
I have a question for you that we often, you know, we often talk about this as doc filmmakers when we're behind the camera, sort of a separation of the emotion. So we're able to successfully film what is in front of us. Now, in your case, how were you separating the emotion of what you were going through with breast cancer and the treatments that you were going through? How were you able to separate the emotion of your personal life to be able to create this film, this work of art? That's a very good question. I, I think that the fact of turning the camera towards myself, in fact, was a great help because mm. when you're patient, they ask you to be patient. So even if you can walk to the surgical room, they're going to you know, roll you on a gurney yeah. and, and you feel all the time that you're a bit passive. And having the camera in hand helped me to to be proactive ah, by saying action, cool. by saying action to myself. Yeah. Uh, I could be proactive of my illness. So, you know, it, it really helped me for that. Then, um, of course, once in the editing room uh, and the fact that I had a writer also with me, that dear friend Alistair, uh, helped me a lot. I couldn't have done that movie without the right team. Mm. And Alistair uh, was the one, uh, you know, like th there are no voiceover into the movie. Because, first, because I'm so bad with vo voiceover, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm not sincere. <laughs> But also because uh, Alistair, uh, it's a conversation, in fact, between that very, very dear friend and me, him as the writer and me, you know, as the, as the, the whatever, director mm. and, uh, and subject of the movie. Mm. But um, the editor, of course, has a, a key um, uh, role also. And we worked with Paul Carlin, an amazing uh, documentary um, uh, editor. And to me, an editor is like a sculptor. Oh, yeah. uh, so we had a great relationship uh, working together, but I needed that distance that my writer and the editor brought to the movie. Mm. Yeah, also, you know, so I would say the, 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 the key part was being, 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 having the right team. Yeah, always is, isn't it? How did having the camera around all of the time filming you, how did that affect your experience? Oh, sorry, there is another thing that I'm thinking about mm. while you're talking about the emotion, you know, yeah. I, I really had I really had that that issue, um, like like at the middle of making the movie, at the end of making the movie, during the editing process, mm. I was like, am I should I be the director of the movie? Like, it's too much uh, in a way. I'm the subject and I'm the director. It's talking about my art and I'm the director. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I had great discussions with directors, friend of mine, including Cameron Yetz, with a, a, um, a director that I love who made the Chef Flynn lately and also uh, Kristen Johnson, mm. uh, who made Camera Person with uh, really one of, of my favorite movie. And, and getting <laughs> into those discussions um, of, of, of understanding why I was doing it uh, why it couldn't be someone else doing it because if yeah. I wasn't the director then we wouldn't be sincere also because uh, it was an artist movie and and so I needed to be subjective an artist cannot be objective yeah so yeah it, it, but I have to say it was very hard to take that decision and it took me months 
to make it. I can imagine. I can imagine a lot of discussions, a lot of reflection. That takes time to kind of decide what the involvement is. And it often does at many points through the documentary process. We as doc filmmakers often change. Uh, often at the outset, we have an idea, right? And that idea, as often happens with documentary, the idea that we had at the beginning often changes in many different ways along the way. And it's up to us to kind of decide what sort of turns that we want to take and what paths we want to take with our films. So it's not surprising to hear this at all, um, especially given uh, the personal uh, magnitude of what you are creating. Hmm. Exactly. How did the camera at all, if it did at all, how did the camera affect your medical experience, your experience with um, even going to hospitals and meeting with doctors, how did that affect that experience? Like, how aware were you that, that, that you were filming, if that makes sense? I, I truly think it helped me because uh, it helped me to think about something else, like, you know, being in the corridor and, uh, and, and being on the gurney and filming yeah. the sailing. Um, I was thinking about being focus and not uh, and not you know where I was going to be cut uh, by a surgeon yeah. a few a few minutes after so it really brought my mind somewhere else and also so I was thinking about something else but also I could have a, a very interesting um, uh, relationship with the, the the doctors and the nurses it was mm. you know making things more light uh, and more joyful and more playful yeah so, yeah, I think it, it was a, a really good way to, um, to be creative of the illness. Well, that's an important point. And let's talk about that a little bit in sort of e e logistically, if you will. How did you go about getting the medical staff to agree to be on camera? Talk about that process for the doc filmmaker. Strangely, it was quite uh, easy and smooth. No one ever raised an issue about that. Um, also, because maybe I was filming in France where I decided to be treated, mm. uh, both for money reasons and also for, you know, because my family was there. So um, I don't know if it's because of the of the of the country or, or because of yeah. um, of just the, the, the luck of the people I encounter on my on my path. Mm. But uh, it's never been an issue. OK. And logistically, can you describe what that looked like? And what I mean by that, Prune, is... When you would attend a, a medical appointment, uh, are you having a conversation with hospital staff or medical staff prior to going into rooms? Are you getting the okay from them uh, to use a camera prior to going in? Or were you just kind of going guerrilla style and, and rolling camera as, as the process was happening? So all the people, you see their faces in it. Of course, I asked them before. Yeah. Um, and... But mostly you see the doctors and the doctors you have because they take care of you on the long term, you have a specific relationship yeah. with them. So it's mostly, you know, the fertility doctors with uh, retrieving my eggs. Um, it's and again, serendipity. I, mm -hmm. I didn't know him when I entered into his office, but yeah. I realized um, after that, that we knew each other from many different uh, lives. So um, finally, we had the kind of... Uh, of first friendship relationship like that. Yeah. Then it was with the surgeon and the surgeon was a big fan of art. He liked my work, so it made things easier. And, and you know, he was my sculptor for all the period of, uh, for, for months, That's for right. all the period of reconstruction. Yeah. I turned into the sculpture. So we really had that kind of um, 
complicity and exchange. Uh, so, but but all for all the people that I encounter um, on the way, each time we would see their face or, or anything, and most of the time it's blurry, so you don't. Uh, I would ask them, of course. And we talk a lot about on the program as doc filmmakers the importance of of the relationships that we're building. And certainly when we're filming our subjects, the relationship that's happening, there's a relationship that's happening while we're filming, but then there's the relationship that's happening uh, on a different level, on another level. And you, in many ways, take it to an even uh, uh, more complex level because you are the subject of the film and the and the people that are, that are and certainly like medical staff around you, uh, you're building relationships with them that are medical relationships, their personal relationships, and their relationships that you're building in terms of the making of your film, um, it's very, it's very, uh, it's very intense, and it, and it, and these relationship, this re- type of relationship building is 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 critical, and in your case, critical not only for your film but critical on on personal levels and medical levels. But m- most of them, you know, were were very um, finally happy that uh, that that someone would document their work. Wow. Um, and also uh, all the doctors came to the, the screenings that I've done uh, since then. Ah. Um, I even have one doctor who is in the movie who organized his own screening. Wow. Uh, I invited one of them to a conference that I'm organizing in Paris uh, next week ah. between art and science. Ah. So it's interesting. It's a long-term collaboration. You know, it's, it's the kind I like in my work, which is not a one-shot, but it's, uh, it's more like a long-time collaboration. Yeah, indeed. Now, there isn't really a ton in the way of medical information, certainly. There isn't a ton about breast cancer or even the process, per se. When was this a choice of yours to tell this and talk about that choice in a storytelling sense about your approach to this with serendipity? My, my biggest wish for that movie is that it can help uh, women going through the same things. Mm. And, you know, again, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a private person, so it was quite hard for me to decide to, to turn the, the, the camera on me also because until mm. then, all my projects, I had done them with a kind of anthropologist, uh, mm. you know, like if I was an anthropologist and with a kind of distance, and I was, I was keeping that distance. And suddenly... I couldn't. I couldn't anymore. Yeah. And if I wanted to be sincere, so that's how I decided to make the that documentary. Mm. And because I felt also that there were maybe a, a need uh, to speak out about something that that wasn't that much um, told, you know, uh, it's it's breast uh, woman. Uh, even if it happens to one on eight women, it's mm. such a in a, in a way, unfortunately, a banal disease. Um, and if it's not you with touch, you, you have someone around you that, that will, you know, be in a way or another and that affects you when it's also your, your closed one. That's right. So I felt that not only it could help me, but also, and if it was just me, I wouldn't have made it, but I felt there were more universal, um, uh, yeah, impact to it maybe. And and that's my wish. Uh, until now, from all the projects, from all the projections uh, that happened, um, including you know uh, from 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 the first time it was shown at the, the Berlin Film Festival, mm. then uh, uh, at the MoMA, then uh, at Tribeca, at Art Basel, and and lately in San Francisco, 
uh, each time I, I had um, uh, breast cancer survivors com coming to me, uh, w you know, came by themselves or even doctors oh, um, sure. came to, to, to the screenings. And, and, and I was so afraid that that because me as a, as a patient at the time, I'm not sure I would have had the courage to go see a movie like mine. And in fact, everyone was, yes, moved, but but in the right way with hope also. And and I mean that's that's the way to fulfill my my, my wish. I, I really um, I'm really looking forward for the you know the movie to be released and and also to work uh, with hospitals, clinics mm. to uh, set up a kind of you know different screenings that would happen also in a university, uh, a medical school, etc. To uh, to get um, to see if it can be used as a tool, and if if, if it can be useful, that would be that would be the best. Yeah, when then that's great. I love that you bring that up. So I'm I'm very curious. At what point in the process did you realize that that's something that you wanted to do with this film? When you started thinking, what is the afterlife, or what what happens now with the film? When were you thinking about that? What the sort of greater life of your film would be? I think that the, the the impact of it that it could be useful and used as a tool was my wish from the beginning. Mm. The the what I didn't plan and and that I'm so grateful for because you know I'm 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 not a, a trained director. Mm. Uh, I did the, that movie kind of organically. Mm. Um, so what I wasn't waiting for, and maybe that's when you wait for the least that the must arrive, is the fact that it would be taken in the best festivals I could wish for, like mm. the Berlin Film Festival and in the Panorama section, mm. um, or uh, also that it would run into theaters the, the, the way it's going to be released in, in US and mm. in France. Mm. Uh, you know, this is totally incredible for me. So, <laughs> so, so, but the the impact and the fact of organizing screenings with uh, hospitals and clinics and for women, that I had it in mind from the beginning or I wouldn't have done that movie. Yeah. Well, speaking of the process of doc filmmaking, and by the way, you, I know that uh, a big part of your work and background was an, 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 an interest was in uh, anthropology. And uh, it's my belief that anthropology just make some of the best doc filmmakers and uh you did very well here <laughs> what mm, thank you I, I would love to hear prune what, what what if anything surprised you about the documentary filmmaking process what would you like maybe other first-time doc filmmakers to know that you wished that you had known about making your first doc film that's a good question i think the choice of a team where you feel good with them uh, in trust that's very important. The the fact of choosing, you know, the the yeah, to surround yourself with people that you trust professionally and humanly. Mm. Uh, this is key because a movie doesn't happen without a team and without a good team. Mm. Um, then it's not be afraid by you know the money step. I think when things should happen, they happen even with very few money. Uh, all the images that I did until then were coming from, uh, you know, the, the, I was I was financing my own project by yeah. the selling of my my work mm. and and reinvesting it into that mm. and sometimes making loans to be able to to pay for it. Um, <laughs> but in the end, you can do a lot with 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 few money. Also, um, when things are meant to happen, at some point they will arrive. Mm. And and I was lucky on the way, you know, to meet the right people at the right time. Mm. Uh, that opened some doors. And 
and suddenly things were right. I think when you have the first one to believe in the project is you. Yeah. No one will believe in it if not you. So even if you don't believe in it, you have to pretend you believe in it mm. at first. And then things happen when they are meant to. Beautiful. Fake it till you make it. Love yeah. it. It's so beautiful. But action action brings action. It and does. And it's even more true for a movie. So yeah. so at some point, you need to, to push yourself the, the button action. Yeah, you better believe it. Well, let's. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the process of, you know, how the universe kind of conspires to work for us, right? In your case, you would end up at some point either meeting or being connected with some very recognizable names as executive producers. Uh, share the process of bringing on an executive producer like someone like an Angelina Jolie or a Darren Aronofsky. What was that process like and was it very intentional for you? So Darren was there from the beginning uh, because, you know, he, as, as I mentioned, he, he, he really loved the Terracotta Daughters project. Mm. So he was very supportive to me as a, as a woman, you know, uh, artist and director to, to tell me, OK, uh, you have incredible images there. Uh, you should do a long feature. So he saw the shot mm. uh, that I had done about Terracotta Daughters that uh, I was showing in the, you know, the world tour when I brought my, my, my Terracotta Daughters army around the world. Mm. I wanted to that people not only walk through uh, an army of sculptures, but that they would understand the process behind it. Yeah. Uh, the work I had done for more than a year with, with craftsmen in China, the fact that it was based on eight real girls, orphans from the deep countryside of China, where mm. you have the most sex selection. Um, you know, also the, the fact that the project was not only to make that army, but also to bury it at some point in China in a secret place until 2030. Yeah. So I did a short documentary edited by uh, an incredible editor with uh, Anne-Sophie Bion, the editor from The Artist, you know, that, wow. that movie uh, uh, that no one believed in and made it to the Oscar. That's right. Um, <laughs> it was a, a, a beautiful French accent, uh, as terrible as mine. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's um, you know, it's from that shot that Darren told me, oh, you have to do a long feature from that. You yeah. really have the material. And, and then when I was ill, you know, he was the one to tell me, okay, focus on yourself yes and and turn the camera uh, turn the camera and you can you can make something of it uh, so it he followed the process from the beginning and it made sense at some point um that he would you know uh, as a friend uh, as a, as a film lover as a supporter of uh, of woman director and young yeah director this seems to, uh, very a uh, very organic this relationship of course yeah and he's a producer also yeah. for many things i mean really he was an incredible help and he's still um so and and then for Angelina, I was lucky to be in touch with her through two different friends. Uh, when I learned I was ill, and it started by by having her giving me advices about uh, doctors and clinics. Oh. She put me in touch with her doctors. Uh, but again, you know, as, as I'm, I'm I'm in France and 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 uh, and it's it's not like uh, it's. It, I, I don't even know how she got to, to give me those advices, but it happened. I was very lucky, but it, it came from a bit nowhere in a way, you know. So I I, I took that luck of, of speaking to uh, to such an incredible artist and director because she's uh, she's really uh, 
she's really an inspiration for mm. for for women and for 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 women directors for sure. Like the movie she did in Cambodia, for example. Oh yeah, where she's you a huge, right massive now. inspiration here for many exactly, many years. Exactly, exactly. Working with Rissi Pan and so. Ritty Pan's in know, our film. She, we know him well. Oh, oh, amazing. Uh, so yeah, he. You know, she 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 gave me first some advices about doctors, and then we. I ended up speaking once I, I was into the process of the movie, t- giving her some news as she was also asking for for, for some news of my health. Yeah. And I think she was really um, I, maybe she saw before me the fact that uh, that that woman really needed a, a movie like that. And so she said, "How can I help? How can I help?" Yeah. And once we we went, you know, into the editing project. At some point, I told her, "Yeah, that that that." you know, her advices, her help would be uh, more than precious. And so kindly she, she, she started to, uh, to uh, you know, support the movie by advices, by, by ideas, by mm. help, by, you know. So all of that, be, I think, became from a relationship of, um, of women, uh, women artists and women artists uh, with a link with breast cancer that was a lot in common. So, yeah. so it came quite organically too. Well, it's interesting because I, I'm curious what you thought of the idea of an executive producer for a film, what that looked like, because I think that you de- uh, developed some unique relationships in particular with these two executive producers that a lot of filmmakers don't. So I'm very curious, and, and, it's, and it's wonderful, right? It's wonderful to hear that. But I'm curious what you thought the executive producer's role was prior to these relationships that you were building with both Angelina and Darren. I had no idea because, you know, even the world producer is so complicated and you need to understand when you don't come from that world. Yeah. You have the, the line producer, the producer for the, the producer for the money, the producer for the support. <laughs> so, <laughs> and when you translate, when you translate that into French, it's even another totally different oh, Of meaning. course. So. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is from the UK and she works in the film and TV industry and often there is there's crossover but we have to use different terms when we're talking about one another's exactly. work. It's hilarious. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, the word producers can have so many meanings. So we just made our own, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we're doc filmmakers. We're allowed to do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've been speaking with documentary filmmaker and multidisciplinarian artist Prune Nuri. Prune, this has been a lovely conversation. How can we see Serendipity? So you can see Serendipity at the Quad Theater in New York from October the 18th. Uh, in Los Angeles, also, there, we, there will be one, um, one cinema. In San Francisco, there will be another one, the Landmark Opera Plaza from the 25th. Then in Philadelphia from November 2, and some more cities to come. And also Paris uh, with MK2, Marine Karmitz, uh, at Beaubourg, near the Centre Pompidou. Mm-hmm. That's from October 23. Ah, fantastic, fantastic. What a lovely conversation, Prune. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the documentary life. And uh, any, uh, any chance there'll be some documentary films in the future after ha- having this experience? For sure, once you get the bug, but uh, I will, um, <laughs> I, I will for sure release one in 2031. I'll you know, bet. once the once the the army will be excavated, and I, I go back every year and a half to film the girls' orphans. I base okay. the project on, 
and also the craftsmen I work with. So the movie will be a 20 years uh, process documentary. Fantastic. Well, you are an anthropologist at heart, so I don't think you'll be able to stay away from uh, <laughs> from documentary for too long. Thank you again That's so right. much for being on the show, Prune. What a lovely conversation. Thank you and have a lovely trip to Cambodia. I can't wait to see your movie. Don't forget, we'd love to have you join us in the Documentary Academy. Come and take a look at how we can help you make your best documentary film at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. That's thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.